Welcome back to another episode of Around the 412. I'm Tyler, and joining me as always is my co-host Smitty. And this week joining us as well is our friend and co-host of the Around the 412 Fantasy Football Show, Joe Frick. But before we get into the show, just want to talk about a little bit. Um, so follow us on all of our social medias at Around the 412. We're on TikTok, we're on Twitter, obviously that's our biggest platform, and Instagram as well. Uh, Smitty's on Facebook, we technically have a Facebook so if you want to follow us there, go ahead. You can also follow the show wherever you're listening to right now, whether it be Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever it is, we're on there. Also, go subscribe to us on YouTube. We're trying to grow that up as well. also have a couple of GoFundMes to talk about before we get into the show. The first one is going to be our Christmas fundraiser. There's a couple weeks left till, until Christmas. It's crazy how fast it's coming up. But rocking around the 412, uh, this year we are uh, over $4,000 already, but we want to keep going to help as many kids this Christmas as we can. We try to provide a Christmas that Smitty and I never had to worry about growing up. And so for the past five years, we've been able to do that. And we want to keep that going. Every cent that you guys donate goes to these families and these kids. And we also try to provide a gift card for a holiday meal or if uh, a family is struggling and needs gas. I know that was a situation last year. Uh, we, we try to provide the any way we can. Um, and one of the recipients this year leads into another GoFundMe. Um, tragically, uh, Dalton Keene passed away a few months ago and left behind his two-year-old daughter, Isla. But there's a GoFundMe to help relieve some of that financial burden on the family and her moving forward. Um, so that will also be linked in the description of the show as long with the around the, rocking around the 412 GoFundMe. So if you, and you can also go to GoFundMe.com directly and search for these things. Um, but they'll be linked in the description of the show. Good stuff. Almost two minutes in, and we actually haven't gotten to hear from our guest yet due to that intro, where we, which is what we have to do. We always got to throw out the GoFundMes at the beginning because people might turn this off five minutes in, and we want to make sure they heard the GoFundMes at least before they left. But, Joe, what's going on? Nothing, man. If you're going to say people were turning off in five minutes, you should have waited to introduce me at least save them the pain <laughs> for having to deal with me for another hour. Uh, it is what it is. We appreciate you coming on. Uh, as you yeah, mentioned, absolutely. Joe hosts the, uh, the fantasy show with drew and i so uh but this gives you the opportunity to talk about the penguins and also you're wearing a pirates jersey right hey, now man. the winners yeah i don't know why you're the, doing that they can't they take the draft this one lottery, away dude. from number us. one they won the draft lottery yesterday <laughs> yeah it's the only thing that teams won in years dude, they got Tyler, the sharing we saying this earlier <laughs> is pittsburgh the greatest draft lottery team in the history of draft lotteries hey, they might be and you know depending on who the the pit or the pirates draft this year i mean Sidney Crosby and getting him with the first draft lottery in the NHL. I mean, it's hard to really beat that. And then Lemieux, uh, Le- Lemieux as well. Dylan yeah, Cruz I, I is mean, gonna be the Crosby of Major League Baseball. So is that who the number one pick is? Like consensus? I would I would I don't know that there is like a consensus like this guy is definitely number one, but uh Dylan Cruz, the LSU outfielder, I think is the favorite right now. So Okay. Yeah, well, we're about to lose another outfielder, so we might as well take one. Yeah, and I think that that's where that comes into play. Like, normally, you don't draft for need in the MLB, especially because, like, this guy's not going to be here in a year or two or anything like that. But, like, if you are going to do that, it's like a college bat that's already pretty advanced, kind of like the Henry Davis situation where you're like, this guy could be here in, like, two and a half, three years as opposed to, you know, four, five, six. So, but either way, it's not immediate. Like, you can't draft for immediate need in the Major League Baseball draft. So, right. But um, we will get into more baseball. But again, people are going to tune out of this show probably pretty quickly. So we might as well get the Steelers talk, which they want to hear. And then we can talk about baseball after people turn the show off. So 
That's fine let's with start me. With the Steelers. Yeah, let's start with the Steelers getting a 19 to 16 victory over the Atlanta Falcons on Sunday. Um, I feel like I keep saying this after you know, week in and week out. I, I don't think that this game was quite as good as the indie game for Kenny Pickett, but I feel like we're continuing to see some progress. I thought we saw some more good steps in this game. Um, did you guys see anything in particular from Kenny Pickett, like good and bad that we can touch on here? I want to highlight one thing before you guys go. Um, I, and they made it, they made a great point about this on the broadcast too. So I gotta give them credit. I'm not sure which one it was on the broadcast, but he throws that ball into the feet of Fryermuth to kill the first drive where they have to settle for three. Then he overthrows Fryermuth on another drive. And then he hits Connor Hayward for that touchdown pass. And it's like those three plays in succession. It was like him underthrowing him overthrowing and then him finding the right touch. And that's what you want to see from a rookie. Like he's finally figuring things out. Well, that's what I, I was going to say is like kind of in just one game, you're going to see development over a season for a rookie quarterback. But even in one game, I thought for the the vertical passes in the intermediate game, kind of like the 20 to 30 yard pass range, you, you saw some progression through as the game went out. I, I think that you, and there was the one with Pat Fryermuth that so many people were frustrated about. And it's like, yeah, I want Kenny to hit that, too. It, it was, it, and I think that you saw that progression moving into the game, and that's basically the same play, except on the other side of the hashes for Connor Hayward, and and so I, I think that you were able to see that. I, I don't think it was as good as the Colts game overall, but I do think that with this game, you're seeing Kenny take strides in different parts of the game, and if he's taken di- strides in different parts of the game in different games, I don't mind that because eventually, if you're if you're improving over various games at various spots of the game you're going to improve overall and so I, I thought it was still a decent game he still has his quirks but he's a rookie quarterback I, I can live with that um, but as long as you can actually see the progress working through that and I think you did on Sunday or, or on Sunday morning yeah I think one of the things that I've appreciated about Kenny's game is it doesn't feel like he makes the same mistake twice so like he's had some plays that he's left out there um we're getting more sustained drives. I think for me, and I don't know if this is really a Matt Canada thing, and even if it was, I don't know if I'd give him credit for it, but the fact that we didn't punt the ball in the first half, we didn't finish the drives off, but to not see Presley Harvin outside of a field goal holder role, like to me, that was very satisfying as a fan to watch. Um, our offense has really struggled to sustain drives, moving, getting the ball down the field early. Um, and to have that, even though they missed that Frymouth pass, um, that would have been like a big play. There was stuff that they left on the table to see that progression. It's like, all right, it's only a matter of time before he continues to make that step. So that, that was the biggest thing for me. Yeah. yeah I love I think what a, I'm seeing. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say oh, offense as a whole, whole specifically in this game, I guess the past couple of weeks. Um, I think that they've been really good in between like the twenties, but as soon as they get near the red zone, they just don't know what to do. And I don't know if that's Matt Canada overthinking or the guys that are actually on the field not being able to perform whenever they're needed. But once they sniff the red zone, they, they kind of like freeze up. And that's whenever all the drives are halting. But in between, just in midfield, I think the offense looks fine, especially after, after these like past few wins. I think it looks great in between the 20s. As soon as they get close to a red zone, they just freeze up. And it's it's kind of like I don't know if Matt Canada just doesn't know what plays to call and he's overthinking it or if the guys are just not performing to the best. Maybe a combination of both. But I, I would tend to lean more towards the Matt Canada side of it. But anyway, the red zone is just a nightmare. And that's the r- biggest thing I think holding this offense back 
into being a full offense or a complete game from an offense. That's the one thing that we're missing is red zones. I think the other thing that happens like every time that they get close (laughs) to the red zone as well is that they take a penalty. There is always some sort of like illegal motion, illegal formation. And then it's like, Mm -hmm. next thing you know, it's like second and 20. And then it's like, oh, we're going to run a draw. And then here's a screen and here's Matt Wright hitting it off the upright for the 14th week in a row. And you're done. Yeah. I don't want to say like, I'm I'm not, taking credit away from the opponent but a lot of these drives are being killed by the Steelers themselves like you're saying with taking like the procedural penalties first off I've never seen a wide receiver take as many pre-snap penalties as Deontay <laughs> Johnson has just over the last two years it's like it's crazy that that, that wide you literally take look at the ball teams. you don't even have yeah. to hear the quarterback you just watch the ball and then you got Dan Moore Jr. who's good for a holder and false start every single game I mean, so yeah, these penalties, they just shoot themselves in the foot when they get down into the red zone. But that, that was actually was going to be my point is like, I like what I'm seeing from this offense, you know, from the 20 to the 20, they're moving the ball seemingly with ease. And then whether it's penalties or just not, you know, the right plays not being drawn up. And I, and you talked about Canada and I actually have one of the topics specifically about him, but I, these red zone play calls where it's, you know, the, go, the go-to route is Deontay Johnson on a fade. Or there's only like him and a tight end running routes to begin with, and they're both to the same side of the field. Like there's just that seems to be where it shows Matt Canada's ineptitude more than anything else is down in the red zone. Like say what you will from the twenty to the twenty, like the play calling in between, the route concepts, all this other the scheme itself about the offense. I think everything is really magnified as it should be by what's done in the red zone because if they're converting even two of those. Uh, field goal opportunities into six. This isn't even a ball game on Sunday. They're blowing yeah. the Falcons mm-hmm. out of the water. Well, do you think that it's the playbook is so thin in the red zone that he just doesn't have a lot in it, and that's why we're seeing a lot of the same looks? Or is it kind of like what I was thinking, like maybe Matt Canada kind of panics in those situations, maybe because we didn't get in Man, them with, all that often in the first half of the season, and then he doesn't know what to do. In with the, the way they're zone. running the ball, with the way they're running the ball, I'd almost rather see them hand the ball off three times and just see. Yeah, what recently because, I, I mean, this is it's insane to me again. Like I know that I keep saying this, but I don't know how many times I've watched, you know, them get down into the red zone and from like the ten yard line, you know, Kenny rolls out and the only two routes that are being run are Firemuth on a post and Deontay on a fade to the right side, and it's like where is you, this is so easy to defend. Yeah, just looking at the numbers of teams that are below 50% touchdown success in the red zone this year. So Pittsburgh ranks 26th with 48.65%. So Jets, Raiders, Colts, Texans, Patriots, Broncos. Like, that's not good offensive company to really keep. I'll be honest. I I thought if you would have asked me if it was over or under 50% or like 40%, I would have said under. 48% is surprising to me. It just doesn't feel like that. I think. Yeah, Would you say twenty six so opportunities? Yeah, tied for twenty six with the Jets. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. I would have Mike probably White said twenty eight or lower. Yeah, yeah. If it was Mike White all season, they, they'd probably be in the top twenty. So they'd be at one hundred twenty percent, like at least, <laughs> unless they throw it to Braxton Berrios, and then they wouldn't be. 
Um, so his lone touchdown pass in this game, Kenny Pickett's though, was to Connor Hayward. And what a moment that was. Um, Cam said he was fortunate that a camera wasn't on him. That turned out to not be true. There was a camera angle that had him. I don't know if you guys saw that clip. <laughs> I did it uh, today. Uh-uh. There was a, there's a clip. He has his helmet like over his face. You can see someone kind of, you know, coming over and tapping him on the shoulder and talking to him. Um, so obviously a very emotional moment, but like that, I mean, that's just so cool for Cam to get a sack in that game. Connor to score his first NFL touchdown against the team that their father played for. And then Cam wearing his jersey, obviously, post game talking about it. Um, Connor Hayward, to me, is a really interesting player um, because we haven't necessarily seen him utilized a whole lot. This was the most that he played uh, since Firemuth was inactive against the Buccaneers in week six. But like he just he does. I feel like he's a better athlete than people give him credit for. I mean, we kind of knew we knew that going in. I mean, you saw what he did at the Senior Bowl. We saw him light up Pitt um, at Michigan State. He's he's got better feet than I think that you would think somebody his size has. He's got really good hands. He showcased that in the uh, in training camp in the preseason. But I mean, do you guys think that there is something there? Like, are we going to see him in, intricated more into the offense? Like, maybe Zach Gentry takes a back seat in some of the receiving work that he has, and it's given to Connor Hayward. Obviously, like Pat Farmy's tight end one. But do you guys see him having a little bit of a role going forward? He could. I mean, honestly, the Steelers are using him differently than I thought they were going to when they first drafted him. Immediately, I thought that was a Derek Watt replacement. And Mm -hmm. I thought Derek Watt, making $3.5 million as a special teams player, essentially, I just thought he was going to be released and then Connor Hayward was slide into that role. But yeah, he is getting utilized more. And uh, that's why, like, Connor Hayward, I didn't know how much he was actually going to play seeing that the Steelers were keeping Derek Watt. But I, I think he's been solid. I liked what he did at Michigan State, and I think that uh, on Sunday that was a nice touchdown. Moving forward, it, it's tough for me to say whether I think the Steelers are going to use him more because I, I, they, I don't know how much they like like to use like all these tight ends because they already have so many weapons that they're trying to get the ball to. I mean, look at look at George Pickens, but. Uh, I I just don't, I don't know if I could say based off of just the one game that I think they're going to use him more. Like maybe Zach Gentry takes off some some uh, targets, but I I, I personally I mean, even then you're only talking about like two. Like I'm that's just the thing. Saying, I don't think yeah. he's going to have that much of an elevated role. He'll get in here yeah. and there like he did this past Sunday and like he has throughout the season. I just don't think he's going to be a significant part to the offense at least this season. Yeah, I think that was a schemed up like we're going to Atlanta, we're going to give Hayward a package, and, like, it just happened to work, like, storybook. What's interesting to me about Connor Hayward is I still don't really know what position he plays. I think the biggest struggle that we have with our tight end group is that nobody in that group can block at all, and I wouldn't consider him to be, like, a plus blocker. Um, I don't know if y'all recall uh, one of the many jet sweeps that we ran, but it was, like, a third and one. They give it to Gunner, and Pat, it was just, like, he might as well have been a quarterback out there. Like, I'm convinced that Kenny Pickett can outblock Pat, like, in a one-on-one situation. Like, it is what it is. (laughs) Um, So, it's, like, I feel like if you're putting Hayward on the field as, like, a tight end, too, like, it kind of screams like, all right, this is a big formation, but it's going to be a pass. So how do you best leverage that? I'm not really sure. And I hope that a run blocking tight end is something that's going to be in the future because Pat is really our slot receiver, in my opinion. So I don't know where Hayward fits on this team. I mean, somewhere I I would love that they use him if they utilize him more of like a pass catching fullback, someone that comes out of the backfield in, in certain plays that are specifically drawn up for him to get the ball. Because it's like not a Kyle Juice check kind of thing. Yeah, kind of, because like that—that's kind of like a unique formation. You don't have to use it all the time, but you're specifically drawing up the place where it's like this is going to be a pass to our fullback. 
And I, I think that would be utilized, especially because, like you say, like you don't know what position he played. I thought he was going to play fullback right. out of out, like when he was drafted. So I, I think mm-hmm. that's a place that he could be utilized. But I mean, I just don't see him being like getting significant snaps moving forward, even though he did catch that touchdown. Something uh, I saw on Twitter. This is kind of changing subjects now, but while we're on the conversation of offense, um, something I saw on Twitter over the last couple of days since this game is conversations about Matt Canada a little bit more positive, um, considering the games that he's called the last few weeks. Cincinnati was more so the first half. Indianapolis, first half. Atlanta, kind of the same thing. Like We're seeing them put together a really good half of football. Now, is that just the personnel? Is the game calling? Like, Is Matt Canada really changing the way that he's calling games? I don't know. Is it just a lack of execution in the second half? Maybe. Teams making adjustments, them not being able to adjust back. I'm not sure. But do you guys feel any differently about the chances of Matt Canada's return in 2023 based off like the offense taking the steps, Kenny Pickett taking the steps that he has? If I'm thinking about the way the Steelers operate, I definitely think that there's a the door is open. There's a possibility, but for me personally, I mean a, cl- a broken clock is right twice a day. I-, I think that just because he's had some good halves or good quarters, I don't think that this dude should keep his job. And I think a lot of that could be credited to the offensive line might be having some cohesion throughout the season and, and getting to work well together. Kenny Pickett is getting better as a starting quarterback. You're starting to see some more um, chemistry with some of his skill positions. Najee Harris is running the ball better. And it just so happens that all of this is happening at the same time. And whether that's a credit to Matt Canada or not, it's going to make him look good no matter what because the offense was performing better. Do I think he could keep his job personally? No. I I just don't think he's that good of an offensive coordinator. I I don't think that he has the ability to – really work with what he has instead he he needs a system to really work for him and I don't think that's good for the NFL but do I think that the Steelers think that they could keep him around and the door is open for that especially if they continue like say that the offense continues on the trajectory they're on and they end the season like they I mean at one point they were what's the worst record were they two and seven I'm trying or two and six what was the Steelers at their worst two Two and and six six, yeah they ended up like eight and nine or nine and eight then it's like the Steelers, I can see them, especially because they don't have to give him a new contract and he already has that year on there, just keeping him around. I think that's a big difference. Is like That's the thing. Pe- yeah, people think not- people probably don't remember, and we've talked about it, but a lot of Steelers fans probably don't realize like he's still under contract for 2023. So the, mm-hmm. it's easy for the Steelers to not have to do anything and just keep him around. Otherwise, they will have to fire him. It's not like he's getting a new contract. So that's completely different. But I think the I- door is open for him to stay. I've been trying to find the last coach that the Steelers did not have a contract expire for. And the last one that I can find, the most recent one that I can find is after they lost in the Super Bowl in 95, that they had an offensive coordinator resign, like wasn't even fired. Um, So you're talking like, not just like a position coach, because I think they fired position coaches. I don't even know if they've done that, but like, no, like there hasn't been like a court, like I can't find anything that's not people's contract just expiring. Because wasn't Ike Hilliard, like the wide receiver coach last year, only here last year? Uh... Because I, so that's like the thing is coordinators typically get three year deals and it's position coaches get two. And I swear Um, Ike Hilliard was, they did not renew, it says they did not renew the contract. So, okay. Interesting. 
Yeah, it's it's really bizarre because um, for me, the coach of the year for the Steelers has been Pat Meyer. Just like the growth that we've seen from the offensive line has been tremendous. I don't yeah. think that the offensive line talent is very great, but they're making holes and things are happening. Kenny's, for the most part, staying off his back. Um, so that was a plus hire. I didn't really know what to think of him going into it. I think the Steelers are super cheap. I think they're going to keep Matt Canada, and I'm already starting to prepare for it. I thought his contract was going to be over this year, and we were done with it. But once you told me that that was going to be around, he's not going anywhere. Um, and it's yeah, I think sad it broke because, a lot of people's hearts. Yeah. yeah, that was really brutal. But I think like the scary, <laughs> the scary part is, is it's like, all right, like if you are saying that Kenny Pickett is your guy, this is your franchise QB, you basically have four years i'm already throwing this year away you have four years to win a super bowl otherwise you're either paying him like a franchise qb and you're not going to do it or he's not your guy so it's like if you're willing to throw away two this years just to like not pay matt canada like i think that's pretty crap move by the Rooneys, but i fully anticipate them doing that i mean you're talking about the franchise that doesn't have their logo on both sides of the helmet because they didn't want to pay for one of the sides so <laughs> They didn't sure want to do have. that, and they still do it, which, I mean, I, it's tradition now, but I, I don't know that paint was that expensive even still in, like, the 1930s. Unbelievable. Could go the Colts route and just do two little ones on the back. That didn't look awful. Is that new? That was, like, a new, like... I That's mean, their alternate helmet. Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah, well, it's trash. Horrible. Mm-hmm. Um. Last thing I well, not the last thing, but you you briefly mentioned Najee while talking about the uh, the skill players. I will say, while the production might not match up like week by week with what he did last year because of how many touches he was getting, this is the best version, in my opinion, that we've seen of Najee Harris since the bye week. I think that he looked better these last few weeks since the Steelers bye week than he did at any point last season. Do you think I he think was this lying? Is the close, I think this is the closest he looked to Alabama Najee. Because he runs with he ran with ferocity, which is what he did at Alabama. Mm-hmm. You think he was lying, lying about, about like, what? The in, like the injuries? Like he's like, oh no, the foot wasn't an issue. Like oh, this wasn't an issue. And like it just feels like there's like something that changed, mm-hmm. and it felt like well, the only well, I'll be honest. thing felt like health. Yeah, I mean, we kept talking about like there's uh, we didn't think that there was a chance we were going to see a 100 percent version of Najee Harris this year based off the injury that he had and then playing through it, but like probably making it worse in that process. Um, and then only getting like one week off, can he really recover that much in that time period to look the way that he has? But like, this is night and day difference that we're talking about here. And I think even watching it back, you can see like the one thing I've brought up is man, like health aside, the vision issues that even he's openly talked about going back to his Alabama days, they're still very evident. And that really shouldn't have to do with the health of that foot. But I will say like that even looks to me improved over the last few weeks. So much better. I don't know if Mm -hmm. it's just a trust thing like he's openly talked about that too the one thing i real, will have to give him is like he's very open when when evaluating himself and like talking about why he does this and why he doesn't do that he said like he still has to gain trust in the offensive line and maybe that is starting to happen like maybe you know what maybe he went on he logged on to pff saw the offensive <laughs> line had a, has a pretty good grade and said hey maybe i can run behind these guys um, because man, like their improvement over the course of the season too yeah. has been great. You know, I, I don't have a ton of great things necessarily to say about the tackles. Um, I will say, you know, we don't hear Chooch's name a whole ton. I think we know what he is as a player, but Dan Moore obviously hasn't been the player that we'd hope based off. I think career. not hearing Chooch's name but, is a good thing though. Yeah. Yeah. You know, sure. he's solid in the run game. He's met in the pass blocking game, but as long as I don't hear his number called during a game, I think he's fine. 
Yeah, but I think to me, what you have like inside, like Mason Cole's been good. That yeah. foot issue aside, that he's dealt with for a couple, actually for majority of the season at this point. And James Daniels, to me, has been the one constant. Uh, he's the only one that hasn't given up a sack this year. Um, so that was a really nice it's move funny, to bring him over from Chicago. He did. Yeah, he's gone from worst to first. But um, yeah, Najee Harris and the offensive line deserve a ton of credit, and that's you know they're making life easier on their rookie quarterback with the success they've had. And also, I have to imagine, Najee, like, that's what they expected the year to be like, right? Like, I don't think they yeah. came in thinking yeah. like it's going to be this 300 yard passer and we're just going to go crazy. Yeah, probably. I was, I was going to say, Najee used Richie Grant's head as a basketball and bounced it off the turf on Sunday. That's yeah. what I meant by like was, ferocity. Like, yeah, that I, was I, nasty. This season, we haven't seen Najee run like that. I mean, we've, we've had better statistical games, but we haven't seen him run that aggressive, I feel like, the entire season. Yeah, I think um, a quality of touch has been much better this year than last year. Oh, over the last four games, I should say, have been better the last four games than it was even last year when he put up, you know, the best rookie numbers by a Steelers running back ever. But he was touching the ball like 3,000 times. So, yeah, it had like hard to evaluate touches. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I want to talk about another second year player. We, we kind of touched on Pat Fryermuth. Um, while he may not offer much in the blocking game um what he's becoming as a receiver uh obviously like I, I didn't expect him to be their best yak player this year but what he's done after the catch has been really impressive and he's now leading the Steelers in receiving yards um one of only three tight ends on an NFL team doing that along with uh some pretty good company here uh Travis Kelsey and Mark Andrews so They're okay yeah pretty good player I'd say that the Steelers got I'm thinking well I'm thinking whether it's a good thing he's with those guys because those guys, I mean, those are gr- those are the best two tight ends along with Kittle, but also they're the only targets on that team on their on their respective teams. Yeah, yeah. I mean, KC's got him, and then they got like a bunch of mid. The Ravens have, don't even have mid. They have the Ravens they have would love a to have plus, mid. They have an A plus tight end and yeah. a bunch of like B minus receivers. What what would you say the Ravens have? They have an A plus A <laughs> tight end, and they have a bunch of. I mean, who's the, even their best receiver? Yeah, well, because like, there's no Rashad Bateman. Devin Duvernay there is, Devin right now, their is probably one. their best, and he's probably a C minus at 35 best. Thirty-five-year-old Deshaun Jackson. Is he actually active? Demarcus Robinson. Yeah, I think he said last. Demarcus Robinson's actually had a couple weeks where he's popped off, but yeah. yeah. I hate I mean, that Devin I know Duvernay, so many Ravens. He, Devin DuVernay either has a two-touchdown game or he gets negative yards. And that's <laughs> yeah. about it. That aside, we talk about it from like a fantasy standpoint, but even a real-life perspective. The tight end position, like if you have one, you're blessed. They're very hard to come by. Um, obviously, I would love to see Pat improve his blocking game because I don't want him just be a glorified slot receiver, just a move tight end. Mike um, Gesicki. But, Yeah. Although that might be good for, you know, if he's able to, when it comes to franchise tagging or something, he might be able to be tagged as a receiver if he wins an argument. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, do you think that, you know, the Steelers have a potential top? So I put out top five this did interactions on uh, YouTube and TikTok. I don't know if you guys saw that. But do you oh, think that we it. have a top like seven, ten player at the position on our hands in Pat Fryermuth? Yeah, I think that's respectable. I mean, if top five, I think would be pushing it right now. There's a lot of development still with him, but I think if you were to tell me top ten, I think there's an easy argument there. 
especially as, as a receiving tight end. That's what I was going to say. Top five receiving tight end. He's already there, but he's such a negative in the run game that it's like he really is like a receiver. Like he doesn't bring anything to the table in that regard, which is surprising to me because he's a big dude. And when he runs with the ball, once it's in his hands, like it's not like he's like avoiding contact and goes down easy. So like I don't you know really what, understand like how. What's like, up with Penn State, happen. dude? Gasecki's from Penn State too. Yeah, what do they do over there? Well, I don't know. I, it's to it's me. It's weird to me. I think that that's kind of the development of the tight end position at all levels, not just the, like the NFL, but like high school, college. You are either a blocking tight end, and you you don't really catch the ball that much, and you but you're really good at run blocking. But nowadays, the really good pass pass catching tight ends they don't block that much. I mean, I'm looking at the collegiate level and like all the top tight ends. Yeah. They're not that great of blockers. And so they're basically turning into a fourth wide receiver on the field. They're just bigger than the wide receivers. Yeah, it's like almost like you're just like slightly too slow to be a wide receiver, but you're not big enough to play the line and you're too like athletically gifted. Like I look at the University of Utah, Brant Keithy and Dalton Kincaid, they play tight end, but they are wide receivers. They're the top two targeted people on the t- on the team. Like that, and, and maybe that's a credit to Cam Rising can't throw to a wide receiver, but he targets the wide them because that's all their route. Their route running is built around their tight ends, and I feel like that's a lot of college football now, and we're probably going to see that a lot at NFL. I mean, look at Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey, he's a good tight end, but if you were to say he's a wide receiver, that's that's essentially like looking at his stats. That's kind of how that team is built now. That he he gets all the he gets a ton of targets. Ton of catches, ton of touchdowns. That's kind of how the position is go- going forward, and how tight ends are evolving. You're kind of seeing less of the the blocking and more of like how good at you a receiver. We can live with you not being able to block, but how how many catches can you get? We need to bring back um, Matt Spath just to block. <laughs> hey, whatever it takes. I was trying to think of some other t- like tight ends that we had throughout the. Uh, Vance was a pretty good blocker. Vance was solid for him being known as like a receiving tight end. He could throw it down a little bit. Yeah. I must That's mention another like to... Penn State tight end, Jesse James. <laughs> but I well, feel like if you aren't going to have a good line or you're going to have weaknesses in the line, like you can mm-hmm. clean up for that by bringing in the tight end, leveraging it. But it's like, all right, like we don't really have to worry about him. Just get around them and you're fine. Um, but I wouldn't do third and one end arounds to one, the left side of the line, and then have it capped off with Fryermuth being the lead blocker. And then it's like, I knew as soon as I saw that formation, I saw Gunner coming around. I was like, nope, there's no way. This is like instant negative play. Like, come on. Yeah, that's why to me, like, if you're going to say who's the best tight end in the league statistically, I, I, it's Travis Kelsey. But who's the best pure tight end? It's George Kittle. I would still probably pick Travis Kelsey, but I get what you're saying because Kittle's like, well, like a very well. I, I'm including the blocking already. too. Yeah, like, yeah, like yeah. that's the thing. If you're going like pure tight end, like you need the elite blocking with the pass catching. That's why I'd pick Kittle. Yeah, no, I feel that for sure. Um, all right, let's switch gears. Let's talk about the Pens. Um, since we last recorded, three and zero wins over the Knights, Blues, Jackets. That Knights win. Coming back from a 2-0 deficit, beautiful. Um, I want to touch on just, like, Sidney Crosby. You guys know who that is? Who? 
pretty good player. 35 years old on a 110-point pace this year. Leads the lead him? in points at 5v5. Yes, him. Um, I mean, it's it's unfathomable to me what we we continue to see. Like, I'm just, we're so blessed to watch this on a nightly basis. I've been so blessed to watch his entire career. I, I, it's going to absolutely crush me when I'm no longer watching Sidney Crosby play hockey. But watching him night in and night out do what he's done this season, putting the team on his back, you'd have to think, especially where the Pens started out to where they are now, like in a playoff spot, you'd have to think he's one of on that short list right now for for MVP candidates at this point in the season. Listen, I've made that argument for years, and it (laughs) hasn't been the case, but I would have him as as an MVP, like a heart finalist. because I mean, he's the only one in like the top 20 points, in the top 20 in points right now that's like uh, over the age of 28. Oh, I was actually going to bring that up. So t- today, Matt Larkin from Daily Faceoff tweeted out the ages of the top five scorers, but there's seven players because they're including tied people. And yeah. it's 25, 27, 23, 29, 26, 35, and 24. Who's 29? I have no idea. He listed oh, the ages, not people. Ages? Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> I mean, I can look it up, but... Uh, no. All right. Let's just... I wanted okay, you guys fine. to talk about. I wanted you guys to talk about Sidney Crosby. That's all I was looking for. And what it's uh, Kucherov is twenty nine. Oh, okay. Nice old man. He's an old man. Look out! Carlson's ninth, thirty uh, second. He's having a nice little bounce back. Yeah, he is. And again, keep in mind what Sidney Crosby is doing this season while the like having next to no production on the power play. Like it's all coming five v five. Matt Canada coaches that too. (laughs) Honestly, he would be leading the league if we had a solid power play. But we haven't been able to score on the power play since Phil Kessel left. That's what I'm just saying. saying No, that's that's legitimately true. true. It is true. Our power play percentage, as soon as Kessel was gone, tanked. And I'm not saying I want him back, but they, they don't know how to run a power play without him. Well, I think. Yeah, they never readjusted. Well, the problem became is like, so you think about like great power plays and penguins like since like the crosby era when you have like a player that's a willing participant to shoot on the left side like kessel was and it's like it's not like he's like the one-time guy where they have to focus on him and it's like oh we're gonna have him in the ob like circle and then he's gonna fire off a one-timer but he could take the puck from the left side he could make the pass like diagonally to kind of like the like the backdoor play but he really had a good passer sweet, yeah great passer and he had a a good snapshot great wrist shot that was awesome you think back like when Ryan Whitney was on the power play for the Pens. They used to, every game it felt like Crosby would go across the middle. You have a right-hand shot on the left side, bangs it across, and it's like it's a good goal. Who do you have on the left side that can consistently shoot right now? Like they tried it with Rust. It didn't work. I don't know if Raquel is necessarily like he's a more willing shooter, but we haven't seen enough of it yet. But if they can eliminate half of the ice and ignore it because they know they want to push it back to the Crosby side, it makes it way too easy to defend. See, the, the, you know the natural answer to me would be put Latang there, but then who's going to run at the point? You're going to have Malkin there? Heck no. There's no way I'm having Malkin be the point guy in the last stand of defense. So Latang wouldn't shoot it anyway. I'm just thinking shot. like guys with good shots that are right handed. That's the most natural one that I would put in there. Right. I just don't, yeah. I they just had, don't, they had one work. on the roster. They had one on the roster last year, and now he's playing in Colorado. So. Dude, maybe they should put Caffin in there. Guy's kind of been on a heater lately. He has been on a heater. <laughs> I do. I do want to talk about him, but uh, I was talking about Evan Rodriguez there. If, if nobody was, I uh, throwing down. He's dead to me. I don't care. 
He is hurt right now, actually, though, in Colorado. But um, you mentioned Raquel. I wanted to bring up the Penguins win. They play Raquel on the top line with Sid and Jake are 11, two and one, I believe, or 11, one and two, 11, one two, of the and two. One. 11 two and one with those guys together. Now, why it took so long to do that when you could see that Sid, Jake and Rust were becoming very stagnant. Um, I'm not sure, but now they put those three back together with Raquel jumping up to the top line and it's helped out both of those lines. Like Rust has fit in very well now with Gino and Zucker and they're playing fine. And then of course, Raquel doing his thing with Sid and Jake. Um, I was, you know, when they re-signed Raquel, I wasn't that thrilled with it due to the term, but again, like we've talked about so many times that penguins clearly were just like, all right, the next two to three years is all we care about. We're going to throw him a six year deal. We don't even care about the second half of that contract right now. We'll deal with it when we have to deal with it, but the window is going to be closed. Um, but for $5 million, that's the part that you really have to like because he looks like a, a value uh, considering that with what he's given the Penguins so far this season. Yeah, I don't I don't know what the analytical staff at the Penguins was telling Sullivan that entire time, but it, take, it took way too long to get him back on the top line because anybody with a brain could have known that he should be on the top line. I told uh, Danny every press conference you got to say something and, about. And this. here's the thing, like <laughs> e- even if like R- Raquel himself doesn't have that scoring as long as Sid keeps scoring, who cares? If he's what? making Sid better, then I'm fine with him not scoring as much, but he is scoring as well. Do you think that like Crosby is the one saying like, "Hey, I want Rust on my line. Hey, I don't want Phil on my line." Cuz like are you going to argue with him if he's saying that that's what I want oh. the line to be? Or if Gino's like, I mean, hey, Chris, I Chris Kunitz played. The, Chris the reason Chris Kunitz was career. on the top line when he finished his Penguins career is because Sid wanted him there. Yeah. I, I, I definitely think Sid has the influence of who his wingers are. Like, obviously, he wants Jake, but that right wing has been rotated. And I feel like he does like having Russ just because of his style of play. Like, he's a, he's a north and south player that will go and forecheck and get the puck for Sid. Yeah, and I, I think that's why he likes them. But I I think he doesn't have he they haven't played well together this year. It's not that they played terrible, but they there was just no production from that line, and so Raquel made way more sense. Sid's also very superstitious, and they literally like aren't losing games with Raquel up there. So I see no reason why Sid would want to change it now. Yeah, yeah. Also, going back to what I was saying earlier, I completely lost my train of thought. Yeah, the Hart Trophy. I've oh. said for for like the past several seasons that Sid should be in the Hart Trophy finalist just because the award's not the best player. The award is the most valuable player to their team. And Sidney Crosby has been m- the most valuable player to the Penguins for the past several seasons. I mean, there's been a couple seasons that if you remove Sidney Crosby, they're not making playoffs. There's like, was it 20, 2019 when we got swept by the Islanders? They. Crosby basically willed them to the playoffs down the stretch. So I, I I think that if he's keeping it up, I mean, he's on a – I did the math. I think he is on like a 110-point pace as a 35-year-old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I don't know how he's not a heart fi- – like, if you're stopping today, I think he's a heart finalist. What's crazy yeah. to me about Cros is it's like – He's been playing for so many years, and every time that I watch him on TV, there's always something that I'm like, I can't believe he just did that. And it's not always like highlight real stuff. Like, he's like, oh my god, like how did he like get that pass off, or how did he receive that pass? Like, there's no way that like yeah. a human could have like taken that in. Um, so it's just like 
he's always evolving and it's like he feel it feels like he could play like until like Gordy Howe years like till he's like 60. I think that's the thing is the evolution of his game, right? Like realizing that I'm no longer the, you know, as fast as everybody else on the ice and having to to kind of mold his game um to continue to be the player that he that he is still, you know, playing at this level. It's just crazy to see. I mean, I we I talked about it similarly to like and I, this is, I guess, a decent segue here to Chris Letang, like having like maybe his best season in the NHL last year. And it's just crazy to think like you would think that like Father Time eventually is going to win these battles with these guys. Maybe but Chris Letang is not somebody that I would have thought his game would age as beautifully as it has. And Sidney Crosby's not necessarily necessarily in the same category because he's not like that, you know, the cardio king like Letang is or relies on his fitness level. But just the way that Crosby's continued to evolve with when the league has and everybody's, you know, fly, like Connor McDavid, the speed that he can skate at and Crosby finding a way to continue to keep up with these guys. It's just insane. Well, the thing that Sid has that nobody else has. There you go. He will walk under the ice or step on the ice and he is automatically the smartest player. Nobody's going to be able to under the ice. No, walk onto the ice. But then I was like, well, they don't really walk onto the ice. They stop, st- step on the ice, and then they start skating. You've never but seen me play he... ice hockey, then. <laughs> <laughs> but he's the smartest player on any rink in the NHL. He's going to outthink everybody, and I, I, I think that's that's because we keep him at this level or at a, a close enough level to this as he's 36, 37, 38. Sure. His, his body might deteriorate, but the the nice thing about Sid's game as well, he never, like he had speed, but he never relied just on his his straight, straight line speed. He never relied on his physicality. A lot of it was his technical stuff. And so I think that as the, the game continues to be speed oriented or oriented, sure. He might not have that dead straight line speed like a McDavid has, but he's going to have the hockey IQ that no one on the ice has. And I get, honestly, he probably has the best hockey IQ ever. Uh, I, I think so. Yeah, who's another player that we could throw up there? Nick Lidstrom, for sure. Same team, Steve Eiserman. Joe Sackick aged really well, too. Like I think he had a 100-point season. Forsberg. I love that I mean, we're there, not saying Gretzky. Because that guy's a bum. <laughs> At coaching. <laughs> yeah, that's um, true. I said it was a good transition to kind of be able to start talking about Latang. Obviously, in his absence these last few games, uh, we've talked about it. Um, what have we seen from the defense? Like, we we knew that somebody was going to have to step up. I mean, Marcus Patterson just continued on with his fantastic start to the season um, when everybody wanted to get rid of him. He was the defenseman. Everybody wanted to trade in the offseason. The Penguins were listening. He actually, you know, even came out and said there was an article written about it that he thought he was going to be moved at one point. And then you have like P.O. Joseph looking like he definitely belongs in the NHL, who the Penguins apparently talked to literally every team in the NHL right before the season started about a move for him. I mean, you know, to me, those two have been the most impressive defensemen in this in this stretch of hockey that we haven't had. Chris Letang, although I do want to give a little bit of a cap tip to uh, who's taken over without Mark Friedman in the lineup as the XG god, Chad Ruedel, maybe the best seventh defenseman in the league. Of all time, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. it, it is It is interesting and like it's very annoying because you have that subset of fans that are very anti-Latang. So like seeing the defense kind of just play kind of, to the yeah. system and do well and it's like, oh, we'll see, we didn't need him. 
It's like, shut up. Like, you're stupid. Like, go touch grass. Like, go walk on the ice. Like, go do something. Um, but I feel like when he's not on the ice, though, like, everybody has a defined role, and they play to that role very well. We've seen, like, Brian Dumlin, for example. I think he's been a pretty big scapegoat, rightfully so, for the team. I mean, he's kind of fallen off from, like, the – all right, he's our lockdown number one pairing D-man to – he's really almost, like, in this, like, PK third-line role. But, like, he's doing his job, and he's making it happen. Um, The evolution of some of these players players is really nice to see. Um, But you don't have anybody trying to do too much or be Chris Letang. You can't replace that, and it's impossible to do so. So seeing the team – say all right we don't have this dynamic player we can't replace that but let's just do our jobs and not make the dumb mistakes like i don't feel like they're making those and it's made big dividends for them i think they're not trying to make up on the offensive skill yeah they're they're just playing defense which is what honestly the penguins need they don't need it's nice to have the defense chip in but i think it's more important to have the defense play defense and 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 not let your own end be a nightmare and so, like you said, like the guys you, you named, Smitty, Marcus Pedersen, against, also against the Golden Knights, he played over 25 minutes. I think that's mm-hmm. a career high, which yeah. is crazy. Um, and then POJ, those are the two guys that we kind of like talked about that would, that would step up. I mean, Marcus Pedersen has been the best defensive defenseman on the team this year, and I don't think it's close. And, and there were so many people that wanted to run him out of town, and it's just because he's small and they don't like the way he gets hit sometimes. There was no actually validity to why people wanted him out. Yeah, he's like except that they, six, didn't, they didn't like looking at him. He's six four and and like eighty pounds lighter than me. Like it's stupid. Yeah, the dude's a twig, which is why he <laughs> he'll get like hit and he falls down. But he's always in good positioning. He's good with his stick. I I, I see no reason for him to leave. And I mean, he's been great. He Maybe now that he got in that fight, they'll let it go. There we go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. Uh, and then POJ was it, wasn't it Latang that he stuck up for? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But what a pleasant surprise. I mean, the whole offseason, we're talking about how Ty Smith is going to be in this lineup. For, for cap reasons, he's not. But now it's like, what are the Penguins? Are the Penguins really worried about Ty Smith coming up? Like, when would they want to come up? Honestly, I'd, I'd rather have him over Brian Dumlin. I know, you, you, Joe, you were talking a little nice about Brian Dumlin. I'd like to send him to the Sun. I, I'm, I'm done with him. <laughs> I am too, but he's on an he expiring has, he has contract. Been he has yeah. been better too. He has yeah. been better. Yeah, well, better is still not good. But, yeah. but well, honestly, <laughs> no, though, no, I know, I know, I know. If I'm getting rid of one defenseman, it's not even Brian Dumoulin; it's Jeff Petrie. Yeah, I mean, Jeff Petrie's been bad. That that trade looks worse and worse. Just and part of it is because, like, well, you, the thing is, he's making six point two five. You could, yeah, so. it, but you could live with the defensive inefficiencies if he was scoring like we thought he was going to. But he's not doing that. Yeah, that's well, that's mentioned- the problem. Yeah, we mentioned, you know, them prioritizing the defense and them not trying to make up for Chris Letang's offensive game. The thing is, like, Jeff Petrie was here to kind of provide that. Like, that's why they decided to make the move from John Marino to Jeff Petrie as the second right-handed defenseman was because Marino never took that next step offensively. It wasn't because of his defense. He was fine on his own end. Um, You know, he, he his game had continued to progress there. It's just after his rookie year, the offense just vanished. So them going and upgrading, they thought, the second-pairing defenseman on the right side, the Jeff Petrie, that was a way to get, you know, 8 to 12 goals from a right-handed defenseman. And just you're not getting that. And you also haven't had steady, consistent play in his own end. He has been better um, in the absence of Chris Letang, I will say that. 
Yeah, yeah I your best three defensemen him. right now is Marcus Pedersen, Jan Ruda, and POJ. Who would have thought? I do want to give him some grace just because it's like coming into a new system that's probably drastically different than the way that they do things in Montreal. It's got to be an adjustment. Um, I think a lot back to like Paul Martin, his first year with the Penguins, like everybody hated him. He was the worst player ever. Like he thought about wanting to like leave the team and like get a trade for like whatever you really could. Um, But the thing that I didn't understand about the Petra move is like, you know, we have this old core why did we go out and get older like that? Like there was a lot of different ways you could have attacked yeah, that. But like, right. Um, and maybe the money, I don't care about money's not an issue. We're big ballers out here. Um, but to your point on Ty Smith, apparently yeah, he's we, like, we got LeBron James. As an owner. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Um, but apparently Ty Smith is like full Mike Matheson mode and, uh, Wilkesbury from what I've read. Um, so it's like, he goes from like brilliant play to like bone. Like you just, you're on the roller coaster. You don't know if it's going up, down, sideways, upside oh, per- down. Perfect. But... Get him up here with Reardon because Reardon <laughs> fixed Mike Madison. So, <laughs> yeah, well, I don't mean. know. I I think that the, the defense is what it is. Like Petrie is what it is. It, it sucks, and the trade looks worse with him there. Hopefully, he gets better. But I think I mean the overall the team has played way better. I mean, imagine if we were still going through that losing streak. At, le- at least we we're talking about. We go, we went podcast to podcast without them losing a game. We didn't do that yeah. for a long time. <laughs> I know. Well, you know what? Too, I, I think the last thing to touch on with the with the, all aspects of this team, we've talked about the the offense, we've talked about the defense. I think that you know Tristan Jari's resurgence and that is a big part of this too, though. Like he even said he was dealing with something medically, but he obviously didn't look like himself. And we talked about it. It's like, yeah, they're not playing that well in front of him, but like you are allowed to make a save every once in a while, and they weren't getting that net for a while. And uh, Tristan Jari's resurgence over these last few games has been very nice to see. I think it goes back to uh, uh, what game was it? They, he sh- he got a shutout uh, in the first half of a back to back, and ever since then, he's kind of his game's taken off, and he's gotten back to you know last season's version of Tristan Jari. So that's been very nice to see. I don't know if it's anything like mechanically with him, if he's getting out on pucks better, if he's cutting down angles. He had he's a not shutout against Winnipeg. Yeah, that was the one. Yep, that was the one against Winnipeg where it looked like he had turned a corner. And since then, he's been playing really good hockey. So is there anything specifically that you guys have necessarily seen? Like I mentioned, like he's not getting as deep in his own net. Um, he's coming down and cutting out angles. Is it just like mentally? Like Because I-, I think Tristan Jari, you can tell when he's on and when he's off by his willingness to play the puck, like his confidence level. Well, to me, to me it's well, it's the confidence level, but like his angles are good. His positioning is good. That's something that I notice when he's not confident is he sits back at his net. And he doesn't really take that's the, the proper angles. Yeah. When he's attacking, that that's when Tristan Jari is the best. He gets in the proper angles and gets in the proper positioning to make a save. That's what we've had the past. I mean, he, he's won, I think, like eight of his last nine starts or seven of his last eight starts or something like that. So it, it's been really good for Jari. And it's been it's been nice to have a goalie back there that knows there you know is going to get you a save. That That can boost the confidence in the team as well. Yeah, it was seven for the last eight. I think the other thing with Jari is he's kind of a wild card. So you look at the beginning of the season, like he was like, all right, like you're definitely a Hextall goalie. Like you're angry, like you're going after people. And <laughs> when they were losing, it was just like, all right, like they're probably going to score on me again. Like I'm just going to sit here in my net and like mope about it. And it's like you saw it a little bit at the end of the Columbus game where it's like he's out there, he's jawing at people. Someone bumped into him. 
Um, and he got pushed by a Penguins de- uh, defender, but, like, he was not having it, like, whatsoever. Um, so it's like when he's got the little sassy streak in him, you're like, all right, we, we got the, the good one out there. So it's it's always funny to see him getting after it because goalies, like, you can't really fight a goalie. Yeah, you know, he talked about his, you know, willingness to get involved with these plays outside of his crease and, and play a little chippy. And he was saying, like, that's a way for him to stay engaged. And, like, he yeah. feels like he kind of needs to do that sometimes just to stay in the game. So, I mean, if that's what he has to do to, to play at the level that he has played in these last uh, eight games, then, you know, so be, so be it. Continue to do it, Tristan, because that's what the team needs. Just don't go full Jordan Bennington, please. That's, un- yeah, he's unbelievable. <laughs> What a I don't know what it is with him. And the backup like, this comes isn't in just... and knocks over the net by falling down to it. That was so perfect. And this, the the Jason Zucker just like. Yeah. <laughs> Everything about that game. So, yeah, the last thing, actually, that I want to touch on, I almost forgot about this. You mentioned Kasperi Kapanen, who scored a hat trick in that game. Him and Brian Rust, who were two guys that were just, you know, both snake bitten simultaneously. Obviously, Kapanen for a longer period of time being a healthy scratch as well. But finds his way back into the lineup. Um, at the expense of Danton Heinen, which is kind of, you know, another guy that had been snake bitten or still is, I guess. Um, and Brian Rust, you know, finding themselves back on the score sheet. Um, you know, if those two can get going and, and you talk about streaky players, obviously varying degrees to those two, their streakiness. But they're guys like once they get one, it seems like they're getting two, they're getting three, they're getting four. Like we could see a streak here now where these guys both go on a run. And, w- and what a blessing that would be, especially with the way Sid's playing. If Jake continues to find the back of the net with what they're getting from Gino and Zucker, I mean, this team could go on a nice little run here. Yeah, I, I, that's the thing. It's like I dislike Captain's play, but I've never like disliked him. I wished he was good. That, yeah. but it, it was justifiable for him to not play because he wasn't producing. But he's got five points in his last three games. He didn't score in the Columbus game, but I think he he was moving quite a bit. I thought I thought he looked pretty good off puck, um, even though he didn't score in that game. But then he had the hat trick and he had a goal and an assist in the in the Vegas game as well. I, I think that that's the version of Kapanen you need. And I think that the one that we wanted was the one that really didn't feel the pressure of like, oh, when he came here, we traded a first round pick plus a lot of other garbage. And then we, we were wanting him to be a top six player. I think as long as he doesn't feel the pressure of that and he, we, you know, like, hey, you're you're just a bottom six guy. Go out there, play your game and and do what you do and actually play with your speed and be able to shoot the puck well, I think that Kapanen can play well. I th- That's that's the thing that I think Kapanen needs to do is to get the confidence. And once it keeps going, like I, I said, he, I think he looked good in that Columbus game. He didn't get on the score sheet, but hopefully moving forward, you, you start to see him chip in some more because at $3.25 million, you'd like to see that happen instead of sitting in the press box. Yeah, it's it's cool too. I think as fans – it's really easy for us to be like, all right, like just get Kapanen off the team, get Dumon off the team. But like, you can see like the impact that like, and how like close knit that they are like in the locker room. Yeah. Like once he's the reaction, yeah. Like you just see the reactions of it, like the reactions in like the interviews, like everybody just like losing their minds for it. Um, so I, I think we lose that at like kind of sitting in the press box, watching on TV, whatever. Um, but I think that, there's this misconception a lot in hockey where you have these like role players like the Heinen, like um, Kapanen. I wouldn't put Russ in that category because he's top six. He's getting top six money, but they're supposed to be streaky. And it's like when all of them run dry at the same time, then it's a huge problem or you're relying on 
Sydney, the God Crosby to kind of like carry the load for everybody, but they're all going to have these ebbs and flows throughout the season. And it's like, as long as you can get a couple of them hot, like as you go, then you're totally fine. Like we don't need all of them to be scoring at the same time. It's just like, all right, when one's starting to slow down, pick up the slack. I think it's a great problem to have, to have somebody of Heinen's caliber um, to be able to sit in the press box and kind of reset, refresh. Um, I think that's a luxury that we've been missing. Um, but yeah, we'll see. It's it's good to see Kapanen in the lineup. I like this year that they've been using him in more of a PK role and just kind of using that speed to kind of cause some havoc. But yeah, we'll see what we can do with it. I don't think he's going to go out and score and lead the league in scoring or anything like that. But um, it looks like he might have found a kind of been able to turn the corner there. So it's it's definitely good for the team. Well, I don't you know mentioned, you know this, but last year uh, Smitty had him scoring thirty three goals. Yeah, I thought he was going to lead the team with 33 goals. Yeah. I really bought also, into him shooting 30% the year prior. Yeah. Also, PK, uh, we brought this up on a show a few weeks ago. He scored six shorthanded goals in Toronto on the on the mm-hmm. penalty kill. So yeah. it was dumb that the Penguins weren't even using him on it. I was under the impression alone, that he asked to not be on it, was my understanding. Was like That was like part of the conditions of them getting him back. Who like, does he, he like, think he is? Lose. What a loser. <laughs> He well, gave it's, and Sullivan first, like, just said yes. Murders. Maybe. Have you seen that mustache? There's like nothing on that thing. It's been how yeah, many cheek, weeks now? Cheeks clapping him, baby. <laughs> um, you mentioned well, okay, so the PK, that's a good thing to last talk about. They've only given up one goal since Teddy Bluger's return, and that's over the course of nine games now. But also Teddy Bluger, not just what he's done for that PK, but you mentioned Danton Heine being in the press box. That's just because since Teddy Bluger's come back, that fourth line has just been, you know, really good. Like, even if they're not scoring a ton, they, they're playing their roles fantastically between Teddy Bluter, Josh Archibald, who's been a nice surprise, and then obviously Ryan Paling, who's out right now with an upper body injury, but it doesn't sound like it's too too big of a deal uh, and it shouldn't miss too much time. But with what they've provided, I mean, that's why you have a guy like Danton Heine in the press box. Yeah, and it's easier to swallow when Danton Heine is making a million dollars. He shouldn't mm-hmm. have made a million dollars. He should have been making more than that, but... It's Coming easier to swallow with, yeah. with with a million instead of three point two five in the press box. I'm I'm curious to like how, I mean I guess he wanted to come back to Pittsburgh, obviously for him to take that. Winnipeg apparently had a multi year deal with more money that he didn't take to it's return. It's cold to as hell up there. Yeah, who wants yeah. to go there? I just Ain't well, that the I'm just saying. Place CFL team is Winnipeg. The Blue Bombers. They blew it. Yeah, it's story about that, but. Um, I just wonder, you know, at what point does Danton Heinen not want to sit in the press box and go somewhere else and try to get moved? I think it goes back to that culture thing. I think he really enjoyed being in Pittsburgh, and it's like I'd rather sit in the press box for a meal with my boys than hate my life in Winnipeg and get whatever. Like, he probably could have got two, two and a half. Yeah. Also, if you're yeah, sitting in the press it. box, but your team wins the cup, your name's on it. Just saying. <laughs> Him and Chad Ruido are probably having, like, the time of their lives, man. Like... <laughs> All right. Um, finally, what everybody is here for, the Pittsburgh Pirates talk after winning the draft lottery. They hold the number one overall pick. You know, uh, that's first ever draft lottery. They're one for one in draft lotteries, batting a thousand. Um, very much unlike the team itself. Draft um, lottery they champions. Do, Suck at Ted Williams. They do go out and make a couple moves here. Uh, first day of winter meetings that they were active. They go and get Vince Velasquez. Um, you know, Drew should be on here. Tell us a little bit about Vince Velasquez, former Philly who was actually supposed to be like a really good starting pitcher. He's kind of a swing man at this point. He was okay um, at periods of time in Philly and then Chicago. I think he spent a little bit of time with the Padres in there as well. Um, but I see yeah, him kind bump. of 
the role that I was hoping JT Brubaker would take over, where it's like maybe not even a back end of the rotation guy, but more of a swing man out of the bullpen, long relief guy. That's what I think Vince Velasquez is here to do. If he does win a rotation spot, that's kind of unfortunate because to me that signals they didn't sign another starter in free agency like I'm hoping they do. Um, but they do that, and then they also – I actually like this one. Yarlene Garcia um, comes over from the Giants, who had been pretty good the last three seasons uh, out of the bullpen. They finally get a lefty on the roster, which is the most important thing here. Um, now they just need a catcher because they've already said the only catcher on the roster isn't going to be their major league catcher. So they're going to need at least one. They're going to need at least two, actually, uh, and they're not currently on the roster. But anyway, so they are a little active. The big thing here with the Pirates when it comes to topics – we haven't talked about this because it happened on Saturday. Brian Reynolds requested a trade. Um, very unfortunate because and Tyler even texted me after this and said that we have to talk about the Pirates on the show um, <laughs> because they're just so depressing to talk about. The thing is, to me, it's just like this is such terrible timing. Like had they done it last year, I wouldn't have wanted them to do it, but like so be it. But it feels like they were kind of getting to a point where like this this couple years of, of contention should be starting. And instead, we're talking about the best player in the team requesting a trade now. Yeah, I again don't really want to talk about the Pirates this upcoming season, but I know we're going to. I mean, this sucks. There's really no other way to describe it. it. But but is it surprising? Honestly, no, not really. You're talking about the Pirates having three of the last four first overall picks. Uh, yeah. or, or <laughs> so it's not that surprising that that a player like that would want to be on a competitive team. You would have liked to see him be on this team as it got competitive. Um, kind of like Kutch was in that 13 to 15 run. But, you know, I, I can't blame him for wanting out of Pittsburgh. If, if you're going to play for a team that isn't going to show that they really want to try to improve, especially in the timetable that you want to win a championship, uh, uh, talking about Brian Reynolds himself, like if you're in your prime right now, you want to win a championship, the Pirates isn't exactly the place to do it. And it doesn't seem like it's going to be in the near future the place to do it. So I, I can't blame him. I, I don't like it, and I hate that it's happening, but I don't blame him one bit for not wanting to play the Pirates. I'm a Pirates fan, grew up a Pirates fan. If I was getting called from the Pirates and saw 412 drafting me, I was like, heck no, I'm not answering that. <laughs> I mean, why would I? Honestly. Who, they might have called was, you. They might have called you when you graduated high school and you just blocked the call. They could have. Hey, honestly, if, if I don't have a number, I don't answer it. If it's important, they're going to leave me a message. So that's probably what happened. 33rd round, Tyler Weeks. He could be the catcher right now. I could be the catcher right now. I could I could also probably play any position because the team stinks. But, I mean, Brian Reynolds, him being gone will suck. It hasn't happened yet. We, I don't know what, who he's going to go to. Or do they even – they don't even technically have to trade him. But They don't have to. I, I You, you wonder, like – I feel it's like not you like, got to respect him enough to do it. Yeah, it's tough because I feel like we don't necessarily, you and I don't necessarily know him personally, but we've known teammates of his, and he just seems like, you know, just the sweetest guy, so soft-spoken, great teammate. Like, everybody says great things about him that have played with him. So it's not like I think that he's somebody that's going to create a scene in the locker room or anything like that or, you know, create that type of atmosphere if he's not traded but at the same time like you said this isn't even it doesn't necessarily have to be personal you know like he it's not like he's super young like he came up at not a super young age of course because it was he was in the pirate system so what do you come up at like 25 years old 26 yeah. years old or something like that in 2019 so you're talking about when can he realistically expect to be 
on a competitive baseball team if it's still in Pittsburgh. You know, when he's like 31, 32, like he's looking at his own future here and his own career and he's making a business decision along with his agent, who I'm sure is advising him like, hey, you should try to we can try to move somewhere else and get an extension there because the Pirates apparently were talking extension with him. I don't know what a respectable offer is. They offered to give him the most money in team history. That only means 71 million above. Like that's all it would have to be to be the most expensive contract the Pirates have given out. Uh, Cause that's currently T Brian Hayes, eight years, 70 million. So I don't know what that is, but um, yeah, J- Joe wearing the T Brian Hayes Jersey. Um, but I can't fault a guy for thinking that this isn't the best place to continue his career with where he is. Well, so he's going to be 28 was, this season. Do you think it was okay. the team or do you think it was the term on the contract they're offering? Cause I heard that he wants eight yep. years, but they only offered him six. And it's like, the problem is because he came up so late that he's not really going to get another chance in the big contract. So this is really yeah. his only time to get paid. Dude, you know what's mm-hmm. stupid for the Pirates? We know at the end of the contract you're going to trade him anyway. So <laughs> give him the eight years, he's not going to be here. Yeah. Like, he, we know, like, like Hayes, is he going to last the eight-year contract? No. Maybe. I hope so. My jersey hopes uh, so. Your jersey hopes so. <laughs> but he'll probably be traded either after year six or in year seven. Yeah. Probably. And so it's like, if you're if you if that's the holdup that you didn't give him the long year like the long term contract that he wanted, if you're the Pirates, what are you doing? You're going to trade him eventually, <laughs> so that that would be a stupid reason if that was the reason that that was the case. Yeah, yeah, I, and that and that's the thing is I I don't think that I mean maybe at some point we will know all the details of how these negotiations went down because it doesn't seem like either party is too happy about it even becoming public knowledge that he asked for a trade. Um. But that's kind of how, you know, agents work. So it is what it is. Um, but I will say if I'm the Pirates, I'm turning around. And now that Reynolds has, obviously, it doesn't look like going to accept any extension offer. I'm turning around and, and trying to get something done with O'Neill Cruz. Give him the money that you just offered Brian Reynolds and see if he takes that. And give him the eight years. Yeah. Or twelve because look at look at what the pirates have done, you know, historically with these first contracts. Um, and I understand it's it, Reynolds being older, that's why they didn't do it. Um, but like you look at Polanco's deal, look at Marte's deal, look at McCutcheon's first deal, look at what they just did with Brian Hayes. I mean, they, they are willing to give guys a longer term contract if they are if they have youth on their side, like O'Neill Cruz does. If I'm them immediately, I would have offered this okay, Reynolds, you're not accepting this deal. O'Neill Cruz, will you accept the same deal? Almost like uh, the Steelers did with Antonio Brown after Mike Wallace rejected their contract offer. <laughs> yeah, honestly, they need to because they have to keep people around. If you're not, gonna I mean, that you- the fan base, I think, would be like, oh, okay, you know, I see, yeah. I see that they're at least it, it might help with PR purposes because at this point, uh, by the time, and we have no idea when the Pirates are going to be competitive. And by competitive, I'm talking like even World Series caliber, not just making the playoffs. If Brian Reynolds is 28 going into this season. See, I said that two years ago. I've been, I've been, <laughs> staying, in, I've been staying with my next door neighbor since I was like 11. <laughs> so, I mean, you got it for three years. And then it was, an, and then after 20, another two years, just give it two years. They're going to be back. <laughs> but, but the thing is like, how, how long can we really expect to, or how long can Brian Reynolds expect to wait? He's 28 years old going into this season. And so mm-hmm. is he going to be what? 30, 31 by the time they're actually like a competitive baseball team. You, you'd hope. 
that and and so it's it's not really worth the wait to him. And I just he, don't he, know what can they get back from at this point because if you think back last year when they were like first having these talks like oh they were going to move him like Julio Rodriguez AL Rookie of the Year was like the asking price when the Mariners were like hey we want <laughs> yeah. Brian Reynolds and it's like well, I don't think Brian Reynolds lived up to the hype as much last year like he was more of a Robin than a Batman if you're going to put him on a good team but he's not like a trade him for a bucket of baseballs either. So it's like, what does that value look like right now? I also think it hurts that the news broke out that he requested a trade. Cause if it was behind closed doors and they just traded him to a team that didn't know that he requested a trade, you might get him more offer cause you're holding, holding more of the cards. But now that everybody knows he wants out, then what can the pirates really like? How much can the pirates like say no to certain teams? Like you're, you're, probably going to have to take a lesser deal because it's no knowledge that he wants out. I think uh, the Padres could come calling. I mean, they, they missed out on Judge and Turner, Trey Turner. They offered them both more money than the team that they ended up signing with. Um, I mean, could the, could the Giants, a reunion, the team that traded Brian Reynolds to us, come calling after missing out on Aaron Judge? I mean, I, I it's it, he's a tough evaluation because he hasn't had a ton of lineup protection in his time in Pittsburgh. His defense was the worst that it's ever been last season. Um, but I mean, the bat still played. I think that he offers obviously the versatility to play in center. Or I, I would rather have him in left field personally. Um, but it will be interesting to see what what his asking price is because I feel like he is higher valued by us that watch him play in Pittsburgh and realize he's hitting, he's doing this while not having a ton of talent around him, as opposed to these outside fan bases that he's not necessarily like a household name in. And they're like, Oh, we don't need to trade any top prospects to acquire this guy. So I have no idea like what his actual value is. I don't know. I have no idea, but the smartest thing the pirates can do if they do trade Brian Reynolds, and this isn't necessarily to get better at baseball, but the smartest thing from a PR standpoint, replace your center fielder with your former center fielder and sign McCutcheon. Oh, here we go. I knew it was coming. I, I, I mean, <laughs> listen, I'm just saying from a PR standpoint, if you want people to give a crap about your team, you got to do something. Get steel in the ballpark. Yep. Yeah, I'm not saying it makes you a better baseball team, but to actually <laughs> get people to go to games and be interested in you when you're going to be bad, that's how you do it. Do we think that he would have literally any interest in playing for the Pirates? Probably not. He has, because he, he's I think the, be ol- chasing a ring the only the reason team. that he would come back is if a team that is going to be chasing a ring doesn't want him. He still yeah, has his a market, there, though, doesn't he? Yeah. His market would have to be nothing. Yeah, he lives here. He lives in the or here. I'm in Utah. He lives in Pittsburgh in the offseason. <laughs> he lives in Salt Lake during the offseason. Post Malone does. There you go. There's an interesting. T- there's some trivia for you. Yeah, Post Malone. He, I, I'm sure he owns some sort of property in L.A. But his two main residences are his uh, house in Park City, Utah, and then he has a he has a ranch in Texas. Makes sense. He's from Dallas, so yeah. There we go. All right, that's the most time we've spent on the Pirates, I think, since baseball season. So. And it was nothing. Not good. that that was a not that that was a very you know high bar to cross, but and the, that that will be a continued sentiment probably moving into the season. Nothing by good. Next will week, be a lot to talk about. By next week, there's a good chance that Reynolds has been moved, though. So I don't think so. I think if he gets traded, it's going to be at the deadline. I don't think he's going to go anywhere. I actually, a ton of people were telling me they thought it was going to happen in the last like day or two. 
here at winter meetings once they kicked off. But yeah, you might be right. Now that we've gotten past this point, maybe it is until the deadline to look for it to happen again. But in your defense, I work from home and don't really see humans for most of the day, so I don't really get this inside scoop. Hmm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, unless you guys have anything else, I think that does it. Two years, baby. No. Sid is him. Two years for what? Oh, the Two Pirates. Two years until the Pirates are going to be <laughs> gotcha. World Series right. competitive. Absolutely. Um, as always, Tyler mentioned at the beginning, I will mention again, the links to those GoFundMes are in the description wherever you are watching or listening to this. Um, December 17th, hard cutoff for Rocking Around the 412. This is year five. We raised over $4,000 this year. We've raised over $24,000 in total since the mission started in 2018. Last year alone, we helped 30 kids across 13 different families, provided Christmas in its entirety, also got them a gift card to provide a holiday meal, or if they are somebody like one family last year was going back and forth um, from here to Cincinnati um, because that's where the daughter had to go to um, for her hospital visit. Actually, she was staying in the hospital, but the family themselves were going back and forth. Um, which by the way, shout out to, I'm not sure what hospital it was in Cincinnati, but they saved her, uh, colon. They thought they were going to have to take her colon. Pittsburgh said there was no more they could do and they were ready to take her colon. And Cincinnati said, like took her in and said they would try to treat her and it was successful and she's living a healthy, normal life now. So shout out to Lily. She was shout one out of the to Cincinnati. Yeah. She was one they of the, we know what a hell looks mid. like. This ain't it. <laughs> <laughs> They're good for something in Cincinnati. Um, but anyways, rock around the 412. We love doing it. Get involved. You got until December 17th. The link to that is in the bio, or I'm sorry, description, not bio, of the show. Um, also, along with that, one of the children that we're going to take care of this year, Isla Keen, the two-year-old daughter of our late friend Dalton Keen, who passed away the beginning of October. Um, obviously, there's not much that we – there's a lot of burdens that they're going to have that we can't help out with. The one that we can is the financial burden. That GoFundMe has been set up. It's, it's going on. It's got over $33,000 raised. Um, it's going to be going on for a long time. Like I, I don't think that there's like a cutoff for this. I think it's just going to remain open. But Isla is somebody that we're going to provide Christmas for this year, and we're really excited about it. So, again, to segue back, you can get involved with Rock Around the 412 and help us give Isla the best possible Christmas. Um, and I know talking with her family, they, they certainly appreciate it. Not the most vocal people, not the most, uh, you know, they don't, they don't get out and talk to a bunch of people in the community, but they are very respectful and, and appreciate everything that everybody has done for them um, in the hardest time that they've had to go through. So appreciate you guys getting involved with that. Joe, we can't thank you enough for coming and joining us and everything that you've helped do, of course, um, on Around the 412, but you've also been heavily involved with Rock Around the 412 as of late since joining uh, the brand and doing the fantasy show with me and, and Drew. So thank you for that as well. Absolutely. We gotta find a Ravens fan, get him some money and do him charity. That's true. Week, yeah, so. I doubt I doubt any Ravens fans are gonna be watching this show, but by some chance, if you're a Ravens fan that's like also a Penguins fan or a Pirates fan or something and you're tuning in, hit up Joe because he you wants should, to you have should con- a- you should contact Wee Hoopin. <laughs> what happened? Uh- <laughs> yeah, there you go. I, I like it. Um but other than that, be sure to like, subscribe, leave a five-star review wherever you can, wherever you're watching or listening to this. We can't thank you guys enough. Once again, get involved with Rock Around the 412 and the Isla Keen Fund. And until next week, we'll talk to you then.